Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Flares happen. Even as a board-certified veterinary dermatologist, my allergy patients flare. It's important that we identify flare factors and what can cause the paritis of a pet with allergies to increase rather than giving up on an antipyritic that may be a great foundational therapy for that particular pet. So today I want to go over the four main flare factors that can be seen in practice that I want you to gather through history and diagnostics on the pet before we give up on treatments that might be really great options to provide a quality of life for a pet. So number one is not going to surprise anybody if you follow anything I do on social media, the podcast, public speaking, and that is secondary infection. Because you know I love to hashtag cytology everything. And there is a reason. When we talk about pets that say are on a great antipyritic therapy, it's been controlling their symptoms for months, years. And all of a sudden, they break with a little bit of infection, but it doesn't get identified. We often get these cases referred to us as, oh, well, really great for six months and now it doesn't seem to work anymore. Well, make sure you're checking your cytology and you know some of the sneaky places I like to check, um, even if the paws look okay, but the owner reports that they're licking and chewing them. Do a cytology of the interdigital spaces, get a toothpick and get into that claw fold because the skin does not have to look bad to be infected to a point that a pet is pyritic from it. We want to identify bacteria, yeast on the skin, in the ear canals, so that if it's a simple infection, we can get rid of that infection and that antipyritic medication, no matter what it is, may go back to working really well. We cannot expect a medication that is supposed to control allergic itch to also control the itch of a pet with infection. We know that infective pruritus can be additive to allergic pruritus. So if we have building blocks and we have a certain level of pruritus that the allergies without treatment cause, and then on top of that, we put another building block of pruritus from, say, a malassezia infection or a pyoderma. We may be controlling that first building block with a foundational treatment, but if that other building block is still sitting there causing problems and not identified, it can make that pet seem symptomatic. So one of the main things we'll notice on physical examination and looking at the skin is we'll see some abnormalities like erythema, crusting, lichenification, perinechia, and when we go look under the microscope, we'll identify that infection. Sometimes I'll come back and tell the owners, let's do nothing different but treat that infection, whether it's topically, systemically, before we give up on a really good medication that has controlled your pet symptoms for a long time and they've tolerated really well, I wanna make sure it's just not an infection we need to address 
because if in a month things are doing going really well and that paritis is well controlled, it may just be a simple flare that we have to get through. And I don't want to give up on that medication when your pet has done really well on it. So no matter how you're going to collect your cytology, direct impression smear, tape prep, swab, um, toothpick in the claw folds, there's lots of different ways to collect cytology depending on the anatomical region, depending on your comfort level or how you were trained. However you're going to do it, just make sure you're collecting cytology of pruritic skin. It does not have to look terrible. We need to identify these infections and treat those first um, before we give up on antipyritic medications. So number one, secondary infection, probably not a surprise. Um, number two, I like easy wins. I like things that allow us to just identify things based on the history, um, based on the clinical presentation that allow us to make a pet comfortable without having to change a bunch of things if it's not necessary. So we know life can get crazy. It's really easy to make mistakes in our pet's treatment plan. I have an allergic dog. It happens with me and my own allergic pet. Um, you know, travel, family, um, work, it all can cause us to forget simple things like flea control. So number two would be forgetting ectoparasite control. It seems so simple, and I know this can be geographically dependent, um, but just because a person has bought a good quality flea control for their pet last month, and say they bought a six month supply, doesn't mean they've given it. They may have just totally forgotten. They may have thought that uh, their spouse at home gave the prevention. They may have just totally slipped their mind. They were traveling the day they were supposed to give it. We don't wanna miss those easy things like lack of ectoparasite control. So I never rely on the medical records of, oh, well they bought it last month, so they definitely should be on it. I asked the owner, When's the last time you gave it? Did you see your pet take it? Um, depending on the particular um, prevention, making sure it was given on time, um, making sure that it was given with food if needed to be, making sure they saw the pet take it and they don't have a random tablet sitting around the house. I use the isoxazolines um, a lot because they're efficacious, they help control for other ectoparasites, but I wanna make sure that pet has actually received that medication and that we're doing it in a timely fashion. The other thing, if you have a pet that has a really sensitive flea bite hypersensitivity, is assuring other pets in the household are on consistent ectoparasite control. Because sometimes if we're not controlling the environment the pet is on through other animals in the household, that can affect them as well. So easy wins, check to make sure they've given that ectoparasite control. When they've given it, they know it's been given because if we can just restart that and the pet's paritis is controlled, again, we don't wanna give up on an antipyritic for something simple like we forgot flea control. Um, number three, kind of the same thing. Again, go for those easy wins. If you know you have a food allergic dog, um, did they get anything abnormal? Did they, grandma and grandpa came to visit and they may have given abnormal treats. Um, I had an owner once that had a food allergic dog that was really, con and also atopic, that was well controlled on diet in Apoquil. Um, the owner 
didn't really think about the fact that her dog went to her husband's work office and there he had mentioned how the dog had gotten into a sandwich and she didn't think about the fact that that night is when the dog started getting really red and itchy and this dog ended up having two different flare factors by getting into something that dog was not supposed to it caused a really bad malassezia dermatitis so if you know a pet has some degree of food allergy and remember a lot of dogs will have multiple allergies so they may be atopic and food allergic so asking if there's any possibility they got into abnormal food did we start a supplement that has flavoring did someone come to visit that could have given them food um, i've also had an owner whose pet when they went to the backyard when we started talking about flares, they realized that their neighbors were giving their pet treats across the fence and they didn't know that that pet could, was very food allergic and could not have particular treats or they would flare. So things that are easy like, did the food allergic dog get into abnormal food? Did we life get crazy and we miss something like ectoparasite control? And obviously those can lead to the secondary infections. Those are easy wins for us that we can make sure we get under control. Now, the fourth one is not as easy of a win because it's something we can't control as much. And that are just simple seasonal flares. Again, even with um, me managing a case as a board certified dermatologist, seasonal flares happen. Um, so that's why I'm always collecting lots of cytologies. Did we have a seasonal flare um, where we needed to address infection? We need to change something we're doing topically. Um, maybe we just temporarily need to change what we're using for antipyretic or add another medication on in order to control that seasonal flare. And once we get through that seasonal flare, we can go back to the foundational antipyretic that was working for us so well. Um, when I have clients that have a great recheck with me, and they're about to check out and we're about to extend their rechecks, I always explain to that client what a flare looks like. I like to tell them, you know, life gets complicated, seasons change, things in our environments change. So though we're doing well now, I need you to watch out for things like seasonal flares. Even if we know that dog did not get into any abnormal food, is completely consistent with their ectoparasite control, if we move seasons, if we move environments, and that pet starts to lick, chew, scoot, shake their head, and I kind of mention what a flare looks like, all of those things, not just they get itchy, but all of the things a pet can do to show us a flare that my owners are on the lookout for that. They know to watch for that. And so they come to see me very early on in that seasonal flare so I can adjust things if I need to. Um, but it doesn't always mean I give up on a good anchor treatment. We may just need to get through some of these flares, identify the infection, um, increase topical therapy, and continue the treatments that have been working for us the rest of the year. So I think it's important for us to recognize these flare factors because they happen very commonly. Um, allergies are fluid, they're always changing. So we wanna educate our owners on looking for these things. So again, the main four flare factors I see that can affect how well an antipyretic um, therapy is working and we want to address before we give up on that therapy as a foundational treatment is one, cytology everything, so check for those secondary infections. Um, do not forget those cloth folds and interdigital spaces, please. It's very common for the pet licking their paws to be affected in those areas. Um, number two, 
lack of ectoparasite control, um, ask about other pets in the household, ask about when that pet received it, have they been up to date, do they know that they've taken it. Number three, if we know a dog has a food allergy component, is there any chance it got into abnormal food? Um, have visitors been over? Have there been a new supplement started? Um, maybe a pet in the household that changed diets and maybe the dog could have gotten into that food. And then three, the simple seasonal flare. They're going to happen. Um, most allergy cases at some point are going to experience a flare. So making sure owners know what that looks like, what we need to get through that flare um, can be really important so we can keep these, keep these pets comfortable. I always tell owners, we don't need perfection. I expect that flares are going to happen, but I need well-managed and it's their job at home to let me know when things aren't going well and get their pet in for a recheck so I can make adjustments and get that pet um, back to being controlled and having a really comfortable quality of life um, that doesn't include a high level of paritis. This podcast was sponsored by Zoetis. Zoetis is dedicated to changing the way we approach canine paritis to protect the bonds between the pet, the owner, and the veterinary team. Visit signsofstrongerbonds.com for more information.